Running a pet business is no walk in the park. I've been there, done that, and sure have the campfire stories to prove it. That's why Pet Boss Nation created Camp Pet Boss, where you can relax at a beautiful lake, refuel your leadership confidence with our in-person activities, and reignite your passion for the pet business of your dreams with your pet industry peers and trusted experts. Camp Pet Boss is a one-of-a-kind business retreat that mixes conference learning sessions and camp-like activities for pet professionals and their dogs. When was the last time that you got away from your business, unplugged from the chaos, and reconnected with your inner entrepreneurial spirit? And I hope that you heard me, that your furry best friend could be there too. Get ready for the most amazing and unique in-person adventure for pet business owners and their dogs, happening this summer in Lake Delton, Wisconsin, August 27th through the 30th of 2024. Tickets will sell out, and one building is already booked solid, So I want you to hit pause on this podcast and visit camppetboss.com right now to make sure that you have a room reserved. Your ticket price includes all food, lodging, and seminars. Need another reason to secure your ticket early? How about a massive discount of savings of $850 off your ticket? That's right. Early bird pricing is happening right now, but not for much longer. And I can't wait to hang out with you at camp this summer and share all those juicy pet boss stories around the campfire. Can you imagine running a bakery business with tens of thousands of cookies coming out of your ovens to be hand decorated? That may seem overwhelming. I mean, it sure does to me, but we all start somewhere. And my guest today started baking these canine cookies all on her own, but now has three full-time bakers. And the trick is, is that she's doing it all out of only 150 square feet. So if you're feeling the itch to grab your apron, heat up the oven and whip up some doggy pastries to build a new revenue stream for yourself, then you'll love this episode. My guest today, Jennifer Thomas of Lucky Dog Pet Grocery and Bakery in Lawrence, Kansas. She's here to share lessons learned in pet business from this former teacher turned pet boss all-star. Welcome to the Boss Your Business Podcast, the show for the local pet business owner. If you have a physical building, carry inventory, have a team, or dream of having one someday, then this podcast is for you. You'll hear honest conversations from pet pros work in the streets of Main Street, where dog business is big business. I'm your show host, Candace Daniolo, the founder of Pet Boss Nation and a pet business coach. I've started, scaled, and sold three successful pet businesses, and now help mentor thousands of pet professionals to see success faster together. I'm sharing my favorite business tips with you, mixed with the latest secrets of what's working now, especially in this challenging world. So if you're a pet supply store, grooming salon, dog daycare, boarding facility, pet sitter, dog trainer, or really anyone covered in fur, let's get started. Well, I'm excited to introduce you to one of my very special guests, friend, one-on-one client, Pet Boss Club member and Pet Boss Club all-star, Jennifer Thomas. She's with Lucky Dog Pet Grocery and Bakery. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Candice. I really am excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. You know, we're going to talk about a little bit of bakery, a little bit of private label, a little bit of lessons you've learned and how you've been able to really grow your business and blow up that business into something that I know that you and 
your team members and your family, even, right. It's a kind of a family business. Your daughter's in it with you have learned to love. Yeah. So tell us more about lucky dog pet grocery and bakery. Well, we are family owned. It's my daughter and myself. Um, We've been open since 2012. We opened in a 400 square foot space that was an opening to a dog daycare that was already established. We opened with less than $10,000. It was very tiny. Yeah. (laughs) It was, there was all kinds of mistakes made, but we've gotten through those. We're here today. We've moved, moved two times since then into bigger locations. Um, we moved most re- recently in 2020, and uh, we're just in a really cool downtown space, and we act, we have a blast. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you started with only 400 square feet. There was one store in Chicago, I remember, Sam and Willie's, and I don't even know if they were in that small of a space. It was real small. So I, I'm curious, before we go on and, and hear more here, I, I want to know whose idea was that? Was that your idea to go into that space or did that doggy daycare, were they looking for a new partner? How did that all play out? The dog daycare was established in another location in my city mm-hmm. and I had adopted a dog. I was a teacher. Opening a business was, was not on my agenda. I had adopted a dog. I had gone to them for some private training and I really enjoyed it and I learned so much and I quickly found that nothing that they wanted me to use for training tools were available in my city. So they decided they were going to open a bigger location and it just so happened that there was an entry area that they would really love to have some retail in, but they didn't want that. They had enough to do with their own job. So uh, in comes Jennifer (laughs) and they said, hey, why don't you open the retail part of this, they knew that I had some experience with retail being a teacher. I always worked for independent businesses and I'd done many years in a variety of different independent businesses. And that sounded really fun to me. So I left teaching and that was in January of 2012. And by June, the store was open. I did not pick the space, but I was really excited about it being small. It mm-hmm. felt like a good way to test things out, yeah. kind of get my feet under me and, you know, less space to fill. And right there with a, a doggy daycare, they already had information and they already had customers too. Yes. So we have very kind of differing stories. I feel like mine was go to a bank and get approved for way too much money, way more money than I ever, ever even needed and then spent easily and had a hard time paying back (laughs) versus you going into this going, Hey, I'm going to test these waters. I've got 10 grand. I can, you know, use towards this. I think that's great because 10 grand versus the almost $200,000 of my loan. I first got, that's a huge difference in how long it's going to take to get your return on your investment in that. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, it was a challenge for sure. But it was also, it didn't feel dire to me. It didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was going to totally go broke and go under if I couldn't make it work. We didn't have any kind of loan on the business until maybe year three or four. Yeah. And so then you you opened up and you moved into a couple other locations as you grew. Mm -hmm. And so really paint the picture for us today of what Lucky Dog Pet is like. Well, you know, our, our store is really centered around our bakery. Mm-hmm. The, the bakery is about 10% of our floor plan. So the actual s- store space is 1400 square feet. 140 of that is our bakery, which is really not very much space for three full-time bakers, tens of thousands of cookies being baked, yeah. 
having somebody on staff all the time baking, decorating, because that is a really important thing when customers come in the store. They love to see it. They love to watch it. They love to be able to get something and give it to their dog right away. Mm -hmm. You know, we are a pretty eclectic team of people. And I think that our store, it mirrors that. It is very eclectic in nature. Um, We are both a pet supply store. We probably have a little bit of a boutique feel in some parts of the store. And then we're a bakery. I think that we are just kind of in in, in a unique place because of where we're located. We're in a college town. We are on a downtown like Main Street, old, you know, kind of an old fashioned downtown. We are on a a highly trafficked block with a very variety of different businesses. We have one of the oldest independent department stores on our block. I think it's one of six left in the United States. We're next to a French market and there's a British market. It is a really cool place to be. It has just been such a pleasure to be in our downtown. It was always my dream. Once I opened, I really wanted to be downtown. Mm -hmm. And we were able to grow the business and to be able to afford, make the changes to the business and move to the downtown area. Yeah, I love that. You know, and so you've, you've mentioned that you came into this business as a teacher mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of us come into it because we're passionate about the animals too. And we don't have a lot of business experience beforehand. I'm sure I have no doubt that being a teacher, there are lessons that skills sets that you've been able to bring into your business here. But as a pet boss club member, you know, you've been a long time club member now. I'm sure there's been transformation for your business from where you started before and then now where you're at. Can you share a little bit about your journey there? You know, I found Pet Boss at really the perfect moment in our evolution. In 2020, extremely stressful time for all business owners. And, you know, when March of 2020 rolled around, it was it was extremely scary. I was a little bit lost when it happened, too. I felt, I just felt alone. I just felt so alone. Um, and I was worried about, my staff and worried about their health and keeping them safe, yet still wanting to serve my customers. And I was, I think I was, I was just scared. And it just so happened that I was listening to a pet food experts update on products, a fireside chat or something with pet food experts. And Candace started speaking. And I thought, how do I not know who this is? How come I've never heard of this group? You were so confident and honest with people. And I could tell that you had been there before. And it really spoke to me in that moment. And I thought, do I have to be part of this? So I immediately went out and looked it up, found the Facebook group, realized that there was a paid group I could be in. I knew I had to be part of it. And I was like, why am I spending money when I'm having to probably close my business for a while? Like what? But I'm like, no, I need this. I, I need this group. So I joined the group and it was really it is the best thing that happened to me during that time. I really felt so much more comfort in knowing that you were there, you had been through some things, you had your own challenges as a business person, and you survived it. You had a lot of really great advice, as did all of my colleagues that were already there and already interacting with the group. I probably looked at the Facebook group daily. I got into the portal probably daily to look Mm -hmm. at things and find new ideas. It has been, I just, I wish I had found you sooner. I just don't know that I, it would have spoken to me as clearly Mm -hmm. as it did in that moment. Yeah. Um, We use the portal. My staff uses the portal. 
They look for all kinds of information there and inspiration. It has been so important to, to me. I, I can't thank you enough. I have learned so much and I have grown. I had so much more confidence going through 2020 because I had pet boss to rely on. Oh, touches my heart so much that you're sharing this. Cause I remember, I remember that was hard. And we, we energetically carried my husband and I carried a, like hundreds of different people's emotions. We were carrying that with us and we were up just trying to figure things out and pay attention to all the news. And it was a lot for everyone to go through, but we just felt like since we didn't have the pet business any longer, we were like, okay, we can be the kind of the guiding voice to help them get through this because it was important. We had, we had to survive. We were all in survival mode. And so that was how I knew I could kind of give back to our community. You probably don't know how many people you really affected during that time. And from, from all of them. And from me, thank you so much for that. I don't think I've ever told you that that is the impact you've had on our business. Oh, thanks for sharing that. So in that time where you felt like you needed to gain control back, we were there for you and you were in the group all the time and you were um, downloading some stuff from the portal. And now maybe you don't do that as much because you've grown the business now and you've built that confidence. You've got some systems in place. Things have, things have happened, but there's always still new business owners coming in and, and who need that. And so entrepreneurship's like a roller coaster, right? We never know what's coming next, but what you can get when you come back to Pet Boss Nation, whether that's listening to our podcast episodes or following us on YouTube or coming to webinars or opening our emails or joining us in the Pet Boss Club, it's that it can kind of bring you back in, right? And, and reset you. <laughs> I would say a week doesn't go by that I don't learn something new from you or from one of the podcasts or from other business owners. It's on my phone. I look at it frequently. I talk to staff about it frequently. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You know, and one of the things that holds for us actually is more content and support for bakery owners because, which is, which is you, it is, I feel like not that it's a trend. I mean, it is a trend. I think making dog treats for making well human looking dog treats for the dogs but and cakes these beautiful cakes it's definitely a trend it's been around around for a while but it's definitely growing even more and i think it's also maybe a post-pandemic thing where a lot of people had to you know either one pick up a hobby or maybe figure out a different revenue stream for themselves so they were started making cookies out of their house and selling at farmers markets and stores also were thinking well how else can i utilize my space and diversify our revenue streams. And so making dog treats has become kind of a hot thing. And yes. and we get new followers and new questions about running a pet bakery all the time. So that's why I wanted to really talk to you about it. Let's talk about how do I start? Like, where do I buy stuff? How do I, how much room does it take up? I mean, you've already painted the picture a little bit right. for us about that small square footage it is that you're making thousands of cookies, but what is the process like for you? Okay, so our process today is going to be so much different than when mm. we started. Today, the process is that we have three full-time bakers on staff, two have art degrees, two already come mm. in with quite a bit of creativity. I think that's our, what sets your, your cookies yeah. and your cakes apart really beautifully, right? Because you've got I, these artists. I think so. I was our first baker and I, I that's not my skill set for sure. But I had, to, I felt like I needed to know the process well enough to be able to bring somebody else in and start them down that path. Mm-hmm. But um, they have all far surpassed, surpassed my talents. I, they just do really amazing things. Our current process would be that we're always, we're planning about a year out. We're thinking of cookies for next year already. 
everything that we do in the bakery is reflected somehow in the store. It's always tied together. So you'll have cookies that their theme match toys and maybe a couple of dog beds or for whatever, for a display. And those are planned out through the year. After drawing them, we'll get together, we narrow them down, narrow down how many cookies we're gonna have for a particular time period, and then order the cookie cutters first and then bake mm. them and start to decorate them. As we decorate, we now have to start to consider how many times is someone going to have to touch that cookie? Mm -hmm. How many different colors are going to be used? How do you do this in a way that makes sense time-wise? Right. Um, almost like an assembly line. So the more colors, the, uh, right. the more or the longer it's going to take. Right? Correct. Correct. And sometimes that's okay. And other times we want to streamline certain things. And then once the cookies are ready for any time period, then they're set aside to be photographed. We photograph everything for our website or for social media. We'll also use them in our wholesale catalog so that people can kind of see what's coming up. I think my favorite one was from last year and it was a circus theme. I thought they were so adorable. They were so visually stunning in photographs. It was a circus tent and, you know, cotton candy and circus animals. It was so adorable and it was so visually interesting. Mm -hmm. And your bakery set up as well. You've got your ovens and your dehydrators and your mixers and right. counter space and where you decorate. And did I hear you tell me once that your customers can actually watch the decorating process? They, so they, they can. Our bakery is literally, you can stand on the other side of a plexi glass and see, and you can talk to the bakers. They're right there. They answer mm -hmm. questions. People want to take pictures, but a lot of people will gather and watch the decorating process. That's really cool. So what are your most popular items and what are their price points? Probably among the most popular would be birthday and gotcha day. Of course, mm -hmm. everybody, everybody wants to celebrate that with their pet, but we also have come up with a line of some cat treats that are special. Some that are shelf stable, others that need to be kept in a freezer. Those have been probably the fastest selling as of recent. It, it's, it's just unique. Nobody else really has that. Things made with catnip or with, we will use a lot of like beef livers, things that are freeze dried. So, you know, cats need something special too. We have little mm -hmm. cat birthday, cake, birthday cakes as well. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so when it comes to the single cookies that are beautifully decorated, is there a price point that it's like the sweet spot to sell? Is it the $2 cookie or is it really the $5 cookie? We really like to entice people to bundle or buy more than one or two. So our kind of our main staple cookies, our everyday cookies are one for $3 or four for 10. Okay. Saves them a couple of dollars. Mm -hmm. They almost always will go for that four for 10. Mm -hmm. uh, rarely does somebody walk away with just one cookie. Uh, we want to, we want to get them to buy, you know, a little something extra, something to take home to the other dogs or their friend's dog. Um, yeah. So that four for 10, it really works well for us. Yes. I love that. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Like did, how did you come up with your recipes? So in 2012, after I opened, um, I was, it was very apparent to me pretty quickly that cash flow was going to be a big problem. You know, I didn't have food to begin with. We quickly added food and then quickly figured out this, this is a challenge. So I knew that I did not ever, I didn't have space for grooming. I really didn't have the desire for grooming. I didn't know enough about it. I didn't have room for self-wash. So I began to brainstorm what else can I do to generate something that's a little higher margin 
that would be fun and interesting that people can't get elsewhere. And I had kind of thought about bakery, but was pretty intimidated, like most people would be, mm -hmm. especially if you don't have any experience. About the same time that I was kicking that idea around, I just by chance started to, I came in contact with a store owner, a pet store owner in Arkansas. And we interacted via email about some topic, something that had come up. And in sharing what we do and what's in our store, she shared that she had a, a dog bakery and her name is Amy. Amy ended up becoming my mentor. She's my mentor to this day. She really encouraged me and cheered me on and she answered a lot of questions for me. So she gave me the, the leg up on where do I start to think about a recipe? What, what do I need to consider? She gave me that information. You know, you need something that's going to be, that's going to be able to be dry enough to not you know, mold or crack, you know, here are all the things that you need to think about. And from that jumping off point, I looked at different recipes. I listened to some of the things that she used in her cookies. And we were able to, through trial and error, come up with our own recipe that works. Our original recipe is different than the one we use today. Mm. Today, we have to have something that is a little longer lasting. Whereas if you're making it for yourself, you can make it on the spot as mm -hmm. it sells, you can rebake. Now we're having to make it bake in a bigger quantity. We need things that are going to last, that are going to mail well. Mm -hmm. um, so we did tweak that recipe over the years. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point there. You know, if you are well, one, making dog treats just for your own dog. That's one one type of recipe. You don't have to worry about shelf life really at all at that point, right? You keep right. it in your own refrigerator and then, or just give it to, yeah. immediately to your pet. And then this thing you're mentioning there is, yeah, if you're just a single shop or, you know, selling at markets, you're going to make what it really, whatever kind of recipe you want. You can get really interesting. I know that there are other bakeries that do stews and muffins uh -huh. and like a lot of things with moisture in them and right. can sell that. They'll have to sell them quickly. But then as we think about wholesale and, yeah, and shipping, you know, you have to think about other considerations. Right. Do people need to buy fancy new kitchen equipment? Absolutely not. You really, to begin with, if somebody is wanting to go down this path, I would suggest that they first start by buying pre-made cookies. You can buy pre-made cookies that are not decorated. You can oh. also buy bulk cookies from companies that are bone-shaped mm -hmm. and they're they're perfect. Start, start dipping, start playing with that, start finding things that work well for your store. And gosh, there's so many creative things you can do. You could use peanut butter. You could use different types of dried yogurt. There's just so many options mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you can start to play and decide what works for you. People like a basic bone shape. So if you can find something in a basic bone shape, it's easy. You can dip it. You can drizzle. You can make it for the holidays. You can make it for a birthday. There's some, yeah, you can write on them easily, you know, <laughs> and stick it in a cute bag that says happy birthday on it. Gosh, there's just so many things that you can do beyond that. I would say that once you, if you, if you do that and you feel pretty good about it, then I started by just buying a small convection oven from Costco. It could be in the store. It was easy. I could make a few cookies here and there, start to, you know, it smelled, it smelled good in the store because it smelled like cinnamon and applesauce and peanut butter. And everybody loved that. I think I paid a hundred dollars for it. It was really not expensive. Once you get to that point, um, many people stop there. They buy a convection, a convection oven or two, and they produce for themselves. It's very, it can be very high margin. It can also be your brand, which everybody loves. Mm -hmm. And you can really turn, you can turn on a dime. Like you can say, yeah. there's this 
something's happening in pop culture. Like maybe you're a fan of a TV show and you want to do a cookie for it. Yeah. I mean, you can do so many easy, fun things for your events if you have just a couple of small convection ovens. Yeah. And how long do the cookies last that come out of those? Depends on your recipe. My cookies will last for a year easily. Oh, wow. Um, I will say that my cookies, yeah, my cookies also would probably look a little faded in a year. Yeah, they yeah. won't last. They, you don't want to keep them a year. Oh yeah. They'll never, well, year. the dogs yeah, won't right? let them stick around. But, yeah. <laughs> my cookies are, are good for a year. They're, wow. they're dry. They go through quite a process. They're looked over pretty frequently and we've done it long enough to know what mm-hmm. we're looking at, whether it's done or not. Okay, great. All right. And then I've also heard of people, you know, instead of having to buy brand new, you know, there's restaurants go out of business or there might be even like a restaurant, you know, reseller in your area where you can pick up some cool equipment. Absolutely. I have picked up things through different retail auctions too, okay. Uh, okay. And online. Um, you kind of have to know what you're looking for, but uh, it's a really good way to pick up things. Very inexpensive. I will say that there are pretty inexpensive half-size convection ovens that you can buy through restaurant supply stores that are quite affordable. And it's what we use every day. We use mm-hmm. two of those. It sits on a countertop. It's not huge. We yeah. do tens of thousands of cookies in two of those. Yeah. And it's not a huge investment. That thing must be running all the time. <laughs> it is running. It's running from usually seven in the morning till seven at night. Yeah. Every day. Does it make your store really hot? No, not oh, at good. all. Good, good, no, good. Not at all. No, but it makes it does make it smell really good. Which oh, is I'm nice. sure. Everybody loves the way it smells. I'm sure I can just picture it. So uh, what's something that you wish you knew beforehand that would have alleviated a lot of stress in the bakery? What I wish I had thought about before I started was to strive for excellence and forget about perfection. It just isn't going to happen with, with cookies. And it's, it's not important that the piece of it being all of them looking exactly the same is not what it's about. I really was hard on myself initially. And I felt like they had to look great. And then I'd look at other people's and I would be so discouraged. It did not stop anybody from buying those cookies. They Mm -hmm. loved it. They loved the fact that they were made. They could stand there and watch us doing it. Give yourself some grace when you start this process. Yeah, the learning. I, well, I love that. Not expecting each one to be exactly the same or perfect, and then and really just not comparing yourself to other bakeries and what you're seeing out there because you've got professional artists now, trained artists doing your cookies. If somebody saw yours and were like, "Oh man, I wish I could do that," there's a massive gap in skill level there, and it would be unrealistic for somebody who's who has never gone to art school to expect to produce cookies like that. So exactly, yeah. yeah but so it doesn't mean there's not a market to buy it. Exactly. Start basic and uh, just ease yourself into it. My bakers, uh, since they're artists, they think about it from color theory. And mm. I don't even, I can't even comprehend any of that. They have a d- whole different skill set. You don't have to have that though. You do not have to have that person. If I yeah. can do this, I'm pretty certain anybody can. Yeah. What has it been like to offer wholesale? Are there things that you need to consider, steps you need to take? And does it work? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, So several things to consider. One is that you need to be licensed by your Department of Agriculture, your State Department of Agriculture. And if you're going to sell to other states, you need to be licensed there as well. Every state has different requirements. I don't think the process of getting licensed in my state is all that expensive, but now I'm looking at doing it at multiple states. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing to take in consideration because then you you have to take that investment and somehow recoup it in cookies in a cookie that you might sell for a dollar or two. Yeah. Um, What's an average, like what, what are you seeing in costs? Like what's a, you know, 
I for my for my Department of Agriculture, I think it was it's seventy dollars a year to get the license, which really just requires paperwork, and then I have to register all of my recipes with my Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. And that has got a fee of maybe like $25 a recipe or something like okay. that. It's okay. it, I didn't think it was outrageous. Uh, but I'm finding that other states do cost a little more. They have, Some states have much higher, um, they want more information on the guaranteed analysis or everybody just comes to this from a different place. Yeah. That is a process and that can be that can be fairly expensive. Yeah. And time consuming too, to go through all these. I've opted to hire somebody that's just going to do all of that for me. But again, that also is another, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're going to go that step, then you have to be in it for the long haul. And then that has to be renewed every several years. Mm. So, you know, you've got that part of it. You also have, uh, are your cookies, are they going to survive the the shipping? Are they made in a way that is going to survive the shipping? And then when you ship them, how are you going to package them? What kind of, what do you need to wrap them in? It's, it's a learning curve for sure. Mm-hmm. What size box? What size box is the best size box to ship something in at the lowest possible cost for the customer so that you're not really killing yourself with, with shipping? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to learn. And then you think that, oh, I'm just going to mail these wholesale cookies. It is time consuming too. <laughs> package them and have space to package them and double check them. It's a job for sure. So what does the future hold for your bakery business? Well, our number one priority, you know, this year has been so far to try to find a building to purchase, to take the bakery out of our store, or at least take the production part of it out of our store. I think we'll always have decorating happening here. It's, it's a part of who we are, but producing, I think can be done elsewhere. We've been trying to buy building, looking for real estate, really haven't found the right space. So we've expanded our bakery on site to 140 square feet, which is a, it's a, it's a 50 more, 50 square feet more than it was, you know, two days ago. Right now, we're also focusing on getting a wholesale website in place. Uh, The ordering, you know, is it's, it's a clunky process right now. So we are working on getting everything photographed getting it set up, knowing how it'll run and getting that in place. We're not actively out trying to recruit people to to wholesale from us. We're just trying to take it one step at a time, Mm -hmm. slowly let this grow, let it grow kind of organically. Most of our businesses come through Pet Boss, um, other stores that I'm familiar with or people that I've met along the way. And then, you know, people within outlying cities that have pet stores have ordered. And we're good with that. That's a good place to start. It's plenty of work for us right now. I would hope that that within a year we would have a space acquired and be in the Mm -hmm. moving process. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to just mention that when our listeners go check out your business, you're probably (laughs) going to need to start your wait list page, (laughs) your wait list page for wholesale clients. We, uh, we're gradually taking on customers. Yes, I'm glad. So listeners, listen to her right now. She <laughs> wants to do this right. And she will open up for business for wholesale when they are ready. Cause she wants That's it right. to be not perfect, but excellent for you. Right. An excellent experience for you. I love exactly. it. Exactly. You know, something else that you've done a little differently, or maybe have really leaned into is your private labeling. You right. have, I, well, I was going to say, is it just treats? Is it just treats that you're doing private label right now? Or do you have more products? 
We're doing treats and chews both. Okay. Treats and chews. So I remember seeing a photo of like this whole wall of private labeled treats hanging there. Tell us more about that. So we currently have about 50 SKUs of mm-hmm. private label, you know, mostly treats and chews. And sometimes we will private label seasonal things like um, a charcuterie box or mm-hmm. Easter baskets, but mm-hmm. generally treats and chews. We have, a, as you said, a pretty big display. We have an entire section of them. They're in really big, bright teal bags with our logo on them and both of our shop pets, which mm-hmm. everybody everybody knows both of our, our dog and our cat. So they're pretty eye-catching, but people really love to support local in our town. Yeah. They really love the feeling of, I'm going to buy that. That's that's a, that's Lucky Dog's brands. I have to, I want to try that and see what it's like. Yeah. Which actually we should back it up and explain what private label is. So that if, you, if people have never heard of it before right. um, so and what that means. Yeah. Private label means that I'm acquiring dog or cat treats, biscuits from another bakery who will make them in bulk and I purchase them and put them in a bag with my label. Right. So, so this can work in different ways, depending on who you end up sourcing your goods from some manufacturers will do the packing for you, right? That you can ship your packaging and your labels and all your stuff to them and they'll pack it and then ship the finished product to you, or you can get, get it all in bulk and package it at your own facility. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I choose to do yeah. at this point. The, the packaging process is kind of interesting. It's been, it, it's nice to have your hands on it initially to find out what size works, what price point works, you know, how much should be in a bag so that it looks full. So mm-hmm. we've kind of got, we've done this process for, you know, probably three years now mm-hmm. so that now we can take the next step of buying in bulk with a bag, having it done elsewhere. But right now yeah. we do all of that in-house. Yeah. And how are packaging minimums looking right now? I haven't looked personally at packaging in a long time. So I know sometimes you have to order like a thousand bags, but and so when you're a small business, if you're just yeah. starting this out, that seems like a huge commitment. You're like, I kind of just wanted a hundred and that right. might even seem yeah. like a lot. So it, it's, it's pretty massive. Everybody I've talked to have been, you know, you have to order by the pallet. Yeah. And so a lot of bags of treats. It's, it's a pretty big investment. Yeah. I think my, what I, figured is the initial investment for all of this. If I were to have it done elsewhere and have the bags, have it all ready to go and ship to me, I think you're looking at about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 minimum just to start that process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been in the, in the industry a long time. And so I've seen an increase at trade shows now where a lot of manufacturers are offering private labeling. Now there's still minimums, but there's at least way more options out there for product to, to put your own brand on it so that consumers in your town think that that's the only place that can get it is, is at your small business. And so that keeps them loyal to you. Right. So in this area of your business, are there any areas you want to grow in the private label categories? Well, now that we've been at it for three years, I think we've kind of figured out what our customers want, what they like best in our treats. And then I think our next step is to go ahead and outsource that, develop two or three treats to begin with, have them bagged and and sent to the store. My idea long-term is to um, go ahead and add that to our wholesale Mm. options as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, gosh, you've shared so much. I know that people are going to be able to take away from this and kind of think about if this is something that they want to do in their pet businesses. And I know that you've seen a lot of change over the years. You know, business isn't easy. (laughs) You've survived, you know, moving multiple times. You've survived the 
the pandemic and those hurdles, you've survived somehow producing thousands of cookies out of 150 square feet or less than that hundred square feet. So, you know, what's one thing that that's come to mind that you've learned about being a business owner? I think my mantra has been, and probably it's always been this way, but I think it really came to me in 2020 with everything that happened is that I have to be flexible. If you're not flexible, then you only see obstacles and you won't see the solutions. You have to be a solutions person. You know, the business plan that you write on day one may look very different (laughs) in less than a year. It could be for me, my business plan changed within the first two months. Once I started enacting it, I was like, this, this isn't going to work. This is not going to, I'm not going to be able to make money doing this, be able to support myself and have something that the community really needs. So be flexible. Listen to your gut. I just wish somebody had told me that I could make good decisions for my business and it didn't have to make any sense to anybody else. Mm-hmm. It yeah. had to make sense to me. I had to know that what I was doing was the right step. I think I looked for guidance in a lot of the wrong places initially. Yes. So be flexible, listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Which is a great reason to join the Pet Boss Club. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to say, because when you find, you know, you're looking for, for advice in the wrong places, I don't know where you looked and you do not have to tell me, but yeah. I know for a lot of people, it's, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to my family members. I'm going to go to my friends. I'm going to go to, and those people likely don't have small businesses and right. haven't run, haven't, you know, been in your shoes. They don't even know the market really. They are not. And they might be wondering, well, I don't know if people really pay for that. It happened in my own story. It happened in my own yes. story, my own family. Now this is way back, you know, in 2000 and I guess 2005 ish, you know, and I hear, I'm like, I want to open my own store for dogs. They're like, what <laughs> people would actually like pay. You could make a living off of that. And I did come from a family of small business owners, but they didn't understand my industry. Right. And so even if you have that, and then even when I, you know, got married or well, my dating, my current husband. I remember I'd go to him with like prob like HR problems. I would just want to go vent and he would give me his advice. And I had invested so much in my HR development and like knowledge that the advice he was giving me, I was like, I can't do that. I would be sued, you know? And so it's funny, but it, but if I hadn't done that, like professional development, I probably would have thought, Hey, that sounds like a great idea. You know? And anyway, I just, I just had to, you know, you set me up for it. So I had to remind our listeners who are not pet boss club members that they need to join because yeah, we, we, you know, we, there's a lot of bad advice out there and that's why it's good to be, find your people, find your community of trusted advice givers. Exactly. Yes. All right. So as we wrap this up, I always love to ask my guests the question that resonates with the title of our podcast, Bossing Your Business. So Jennifer, what does bossing your business mean to you? I think that bossing my business means wearing many hats and I have to wear a lot of hats at once. I think that's what I've learned from it is that I can still be a teacher and I'm still a teacher every day. And, you know, I am still the, the person who signs the checks and does the financials and knows the direction of the business. But being the hat wearer, I think, is is what I think that means. Yes. Um, and looking and good while doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I get to put my, I'm still used to, I have my mom hat occasionally at work. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm just picturing you now with like all these hats yeah. stacked up on top of yeah. each other. And you're like, okay, which one am I? Definitely. Yeah. That's right. no, great. 
Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for being here today and for sharing all of your experience and wisdom with our listeners. Thanks for having me. I have over two decades worth of experience as a small business owner, and I've helped thousands of pet professionals see success with the strategies and tips that we share. But I bet 100% that you have a question for me. You have a burning business question that you just wish I would record a podcast episode about. Well, now is your chance. We have a website that you can visit where you can submit a question for me that I might record an episode all about. So if you have that burning business question, don't hide it any longer. Share it with me by visiting askpetboss.com. That's askpetboss.com. And tell me your question and it just may turn into a future podcast episode.